Okay. So before we get going into my uh, teaching, this is actually uh, a second in a series on Exodus called Fashion to Be as People. Before we get there, tomorrow's an important day. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. Where would we be without our mothers? Obviously, we wouldn't be, right? So what I want to do is just kind of highlight that in our community uh, today. I want to remind our mothers that the feminine attributes of God are seen in Genesis chapter 1 in the opening verses. And we see these attributes, these feminine attributes of our God throughout the scripture all the way down to the end. This whole idea that the feminine attributes of God are seen is just incredibly inviting and explosive theologically, all that it means. And I know that for 2,000 years, that has kind of been kept under, you know, the wraps. And we've had this, uh, at, at sometimes uh, an abusive patriarchal view of the scriptures. But I think an honest read of the scriptures gives us a revelation that we're created in the image of God, both male and female, which means there are attributes of God that are feminine and they're represented in our women. And so today, as we kind of come into the celebration tomorrow of honoring our moms, we want to say to you in our community, if you're a mom, if you're a mother, you're important to us. We highly value you. You represent uh, uh, the very attributes of, of God and his feminine traits. And so I want to encourage you to stand. If you're a mother, please stand. We just want to bless you. In fact, I'm going to have you come forward. Moms, come up here and stand, if you would. We just want, as a community, to honor you and bless you. Come up here, stand, turn around, and face the community. There is a beauty and a strength in each of the genders. And there's a beauty and a strength in the roles and functions of genders. And as, as a man, I can just say, I, you know, I cannot begin to relate to what it means to be a mom, what it means to carry in your body a child. And uh, the, the, the arduous path in involving not only the birth, but the raising of a child. You're remarkable in every way. You're important in every way. You, in our community, are highly valued. And we want to stop and say, we love you, we honor you, we bless you, we encourage you as mothers of the faith. And so I'm going to have the community stand and just lift your hands towards them. Let's pray. In fact, I'm going to have my wife come up, if you would, Don. Come on up. I'm going to have you just Pray and bless our mothers today, if you would. Father, we just thank you for every mother that's standing up here today. Father, we pray that you would bless them, that you would shower them with your love and your strength. And Father, I just pray that you would let them know that they're doing a good job, that they're good mothers. And Father, we just um, pray for the children, that you would surround them with your protection. And Father, that they would grow up to be godly and that they would, sin, they would be sent out as arrows into the nation. 
And Father, we just thank you for each mother here that their teaching and their instruction is so important. Father, bless them as they go. And we pray also for protection around them and their whole entire family. Blessings to you. Blessings to you, mothers, today. In Jesus' name, amen. We just hope and pray that tomorrow will be an amazing day for each of you. This is an amazing day. Just a little bit of a lamb trail here. My big awakening came with the birth of my first child. And they talked me in to being a part of this process from Don's early months being pregnant, going to all the classes to do this natural birth and connect with this whole realm of mothering. I showed up and went to those classes and uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. I was just like, I was like G.I. Joe on Barbie Island, you know. I remember I was in this class and uh, the, the, the lady that was teaching this natural approach to uh, you know, childbearing, her kid ran in, he was about five years old, and we're all just sitting there, you know, couples, and she just lifts her shirt, and he just latches on. He was still nursing at five, you know, and all the men are like, hey, you see that photo? She's got some really nice things on the wall over here, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, we got to get out of here, you know, this is not the place we need to be. Well, I ended up in the room, and Dawn is going to have her first child, and I remember watching all that she went through, including my daughter being born, and I was overwhelmed. I was even shaken by the courage of this woman and all that she went through and all that she endured to give birth to this child. And my level of respect just skyrocketed. From that day forth, it changed me in terms of how I viewed my wife amazing in every way the second child just took it up again and so we want to say moms hats off to you we're so proud of you all that you do all that you are amazing in every way we're so grateful uh, to have you in our community happy mother's day all right so we are in a series on the exodus it's such an exciting book it has so much to say to us today and so we're in uh, part two of this uh, episode, or episode two in this series, and I've entitled this Fashioned to Be His People. In the Exodus story, if, if you remember, God is choosing and redeeming and taking a people for himself out of Egypt. And it's going to be through them, Israel, that redemption will come to the entire world. But in order to be part of that vessel, we all must pass the tests set before us. They were tested, and we're going to be tested. Every generation is tested. This is the story of the Exodus. In fact, tests are orchestrated by God, and they're designed by him to shape us and to form us to fashion us, to be his holy people. We are called to represent him and his redemption to a lost and fallen civilization. 
And only together, in community, united, can we become part of his holy people. Keep in mind that the Gentiles who believe in Jesus, you're grafted into the olive tree of Israel. You've become partaker with Israel in the covenants. You're one with Israel as the people of God. Therefore, these stories, though they may be Jewish, are now your stories. You're adopted into this family called Israel. Therefore, you have new ancestors, new stories, a new future, a context to live in the here and now. And these are very important stories written down for us. Paul said these stories are written for us. And he's speaking to Gentiles who believe in Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we can't write these stories off as, oh, that's kind of a Jewish thing. No, that's your thing. It's your heritage. It's your people. And it's time to connect and resonate and begin the journey that they started nearly 3,500 years ago. So I want to talk about three fundamental tests of our faith. Ready? Water, food, and rest. This is what God tests his people on back in this Exodus story. Let's pick it up. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. We've already talked about the earlier parts of this story. If you haven't heard those, you can pick up the podcast. You can catch up with us. Uh, we're not going to spend much time on, on the backdrop to the story, but just suffice it to say, they've been delivered, they come out, they went through the sea, and now they're moving on to encounter God at Sinai and become his chosen people. Am Segula, my treasured people. Moses led them from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. It's kind of hot today. Can imagine if this was the third day and there's not any water? That'd be pretty desperate, wouldn't you? The water you've brought, you've kind of went through, and now you're down to the place of like, what are we going to do now? We're kind of out of water and we're in the wilderness. What are we going to do? Verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. You got to be thinking, what is going on, right? We just saw God move in power for the last year and a half with all these signs and wonders. We saw him split the sea. We came through. We crushed the enemy. And here we are in the desert, and we're going to die, right? They got to be thinking, man, what is going on, Moses? And, and this doesn't look too good. Can you imagine being so thirsty and so hot? And finally, all of a sudden, someone says, water, you know, and everyone's like rushing up and there's this water and you go to drink it and it's bitter. You can't even drink it. It's like toxic water. I mean, what kind of trick is that? It'd be better if we didn't find the water than to find it and discover that we can't drink it. Yeah, this is a big problem. Do you know this is orchestrated by God? Do you know that God's behind this? He set them up for this. He's the one that told them the, the path that they were to take. God's all like all over this. 
Verse 24. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? This Hebrew word that we translate grumbled means they were angry, they were accusatory, they began to accuse Moses. It's your fault. You brought us out here and we're going to die. And we're going to hold you accountable. We're blaming you. We're blaming you for this fiasco that we're in. No water. But in reality, it wasn't Moses at all. It wasn't his fault. Guess whose fault it was? The Lord, who was overseeing their journey, who led them down this path. Now, actually, they're grumbling at God. And God rightfully is the one behind it all. What they failed to realize is that this was simply a test from God. A test that they had failed, by the way. So what do we do, right? What do we do when our needs go unmet? What do we do in life when we're challenged in such a way that things are going bad and it looks like it's going to get desperate really quick? Do we grumble like they grumbled? Do we complain like they complained? Think about that. Who do you blame when things are going wrong? Your spouse? By the way, that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is not so you can have someone to blame, right? But we typically do that when something goes wrong. The first one to blame is your spouse, you know? What about your parents? You blaming your parents for your lot in life, for what's going on in your life? Do you hold them accountable because they're to blame? What about your government? You angry at the government? Have they failed you? Are they the problem even? Or your pastor, your children, the popo, right? Got to blame the police, you know, right? It's like, man, now more than ever, the police are being blamed for everything in the country. Your employer, your employees, right? It's your employees that are taking the company down. So what do you think would have happened? If our ancestors, instead of blaming Moses and Aaron, simply had trusted God and praised him in the midst of it. See, that would take faith, wouldn't it? Faith says, wait a minute, God loves us. He delivered us out of Pharaoh's land. He's taking us to a good place. This must be a test. Yes, Lord. I trust you. You're not going to let us die in the wilderness. You're going to do something to fix this. We praise your name. We praise your name, and we will wait on you to bring the water. They would have passed the test, but they didn't trust that God was good. They didn't believe that he was on their side. They didn't believe that he would solve the problem of this unmet need. And therefore, they failed the test. God gave them that test because he's going to shape them. He wants them to become his people. He wants to change their mindsets so that they can actually move mountains and see the glory of the Lord cover the earth. Verse 25. Then he cried out to the Lord Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. It's so intriguing when you... When you catch this verbiage that he showed him a tree, this whole idea of tree is very important, especially in the Genesis texts. Remember uh, Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. What do we have in there? 
trees, lots of trees, a couple trees that are very specific, right? The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, so this theme of trees is very important in the Exodus narrative. It reaches all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But God takes a tree, a, a, a tree that when he throws it in, the waters become living. Why? Because it's something about the tree, something about the tree of life, a tree that gives life, appearing for them and meeting their needs. God had a plan all along to meet their need for water, a very basic human need. But they couldn't trust him. They were bad-mouthing him. They said, surely he won't take care of us. It exposed their hearts filled with a lack of faith. We often do that, don't we? We get in tough, tough places and we say, oh, God's not for us. Look what he's done. Look what he's allowed. And I'm not going to serve him anymore if things are like going to be like this. No, that's the exact same mistake our ancestors made. We need to read these stories and learn how to pass the tests. That God is for us. We're not going to die. He's going to bless. Everything's going to be okay. We can put our trust in him. He's a God who promises and makes good on the promise. Verse 25, there he made for them a statute and a regulation. And there he tested them. There he tested them. That, that we have right in the text. God is testing his people. And they're not doing too good at this point. He goes on to say, if you'll give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I've put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. You're my people. You're not the Egyptians. I'm not going to put the diseases I put on them on you. You're my beloved, my treasured people. In fact, if any disease or illness comes to you, I'm your healer. Appeal to me. I will heal you. I love you. I'm for you, not against you. Verse 27, they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. You know, here they are just earlier, right? Running out of water, getting scared, not full of faith, but full of unbelief, accusing Moses, which really was an accusation of God. You're going to let us die. You don't even care about us. There's no water, and we're going to die out here, and you're to blame. When all along God says, no, actually, I got a bunch of water here. I'm going to throw a tree in it. I'm going to change it. And not only did you get all the water you could ever drink, but the next stop, look at this, the next stop, 12 springs of water for 12 tribes of Jacob, 70 date palms, probably meaning to communicate that I'm going to take care of not only Israel, but the 70 nations. There was a mighty mixed multitude of Gentiles that came out of Egypt with Israel. They're sojourning with Israel. Jews and Gentiles early on, right? In covenant with God and God's providing for them. And here they are discovering that in the midst of it, God is with them and he blesses and he provides and he cares for them. Okay, second test. The test over the need for food. Exodus 16 We'll begin to work our way down this chapter. So then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, 
on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from Egypt. Verse 2, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled, there's that word again, complained, were angry, upset, and accusing Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3, the sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Isn't that just pathetic? Isn't that just pathetic? Oh, that we would just have died under one of the plagues. It would have been better had God smote us in Egypt where we sat by the pots of meat when we ate bread, sourdough bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That is so pathetic. And in that voice, I hear my own words echoing. In the past, being in difficult times, me and Don, instead of praising God, thanking God, trusting that he would see us through, I would be complaining, even accusing him. Horrible. I'll tell you what. I've been in places where I held on, trusted God, went through the storm, and never saw you know, what I needed to take place. And so finally at the end, at the end, where I would just like really be faithful all the way until it was just over, you know? And then finally say, see, you didn't follow through. I remember one time uh, our insurance was all messed up. She was on leave earlier than what uh, she was allowed. So we ran out. And so all of a sudden we're gonna have to pick up the entire hospital bill and uh, the work that she had missed that they weren't covering as well. And it was a chunk of change that we did not have. We were young, married couple. We did not have the money. It was an enormous amount of money that we were going to be burdened with. And I believed God week after week. I'd been in negotiations through our union with the insurance company and so forth. And it just got worse and worse and worse until they finally said, that's it. It's over. You're not getting anything. And then I waited like another month, you know. And then finally, finally, I just said, that's it. See? He's not faithful. He doesn't hear us. He doesn't love us. I was like just going off. Tom's like, Mark, Mark, settle down. You know, I just had my bed, you know, like they did here. Right? I'm doing that with God. And Don's trying to slow me down. And I'm too young to listen to my wife. You know, I know it all. I, you just pipe down there, honey. I got some things I'm going to say to God. Yeah. So as I'm going off, having my big pity party, complaining and accusing God, Don goes out to the mailbox. He's the mailman went by. She comes back in. She says, you might want to read this. I open it up. Yeah, the insurance company apologized. He says, sorry about the mix-up. We've been in negotiations. We finally sorted all this out. And I had this big fat check to cover all of our expenses. After I said like minutes earlier all these things. And all I remember was I failed the test. And I was so close. I was so close. Oh my, if I just sh had shut up and listened to her for 15 more minutes, I would have passed that test. And I didn't, just like my ancestors. But I learned from it. I learned from it. And God is so good. He's so gracious. You know what he says? He said, son, there's no such thing as failing a test in my kingdom. None of my sons and daughters ever fail a test. They just get to take it over. So get ready for the next one. And I said, thank you, Jesus. I'll do that. I'll get ready for the next one. And I did, and I failed many more. 
But over a period of time, I started passing them. I finally got to the place where I started realizing God is faithful. It's okay. Just hold on. He is good. Learn to wait on the Lord. Resist the urge to get anxious and impatient. That's where we make our mistakes. Just wait. Just wait. He's in control. So. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm sorry, verse 3. Then the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They were facing a lack of provision, a lack of food. They had water, they had some dates, but they really needed something much greater than that. And so here they are, not trusting that God cared enough about them to meet that need, but rather accusing him that he won't and that they're going to die. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 4, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. I'm going to test them. I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to get them ready. Taking them to the gym, right? On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? It's Moses' way of saying, Look, you're grumbling with me. It's really not about me. You're grumbling about God. And he heard it. He heard it. And guess what? He's now going to prove himself faithful so that you can learn to trust him, that he loves you, that he's going to take care of you. He said, six days, go out every day, you're going to find food from heaven. He's going to send it from heaven. It's manna, right? We're going to get into that. He's going to send him food from heaven supernaturally every day. He says, on the sixth day, you're going to have twice as much. What's that all about? What does that mean? Why did they get twice as much on the sixth day? Because the next test is the test of time or rest. But let's go ahead and pick this back up. Verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That's getting good. Yeah. We're going to get bread and meat. Can I hear an amen from the meat eaters? Yeah. We're eating ourselves some meat, not just bread. Bread's good, though. Bread's really solid. I love bread. It's like meat. But we're going to get bread and meat. We're getting bread and meat. We're not getting dates. We're not getting fruit and veggies. We're going to get some bread and meat, right? God's saying, I'm going to take care of my people, and I'm going to give them meat and bread in the desert. I will provide for them so that they know that I love them and that I'm here for them and that I am more than able 
to take care and meet their needs. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, manna. That's Hebrew for what is that? That's what the Hebrew word manna means. What is that, right? It's the bread of heaven. It's the bread that God said was going to come from heaven and take care of them. And here it comes every day. What a miracle that God would rain down upon them this manna. It's amazing. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it. Every man, as much as he should, uh, as much as he should eat, you sh shall take an omer. That's, that's about a quart and a half. They're all going to take these vessels out there, and they're going to collect it, about a quart and a half per person. According to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Everyone was taken care of. Every need was being met. Verse 16, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 19. Then Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. Another test. All the commandments of God are tests. Wherever you find a commandment, it presents a test. Will we trust God and walk in his commandments? Who are those that love God? Those who keep his commandments. He says, all right, here's the deal. Enjoy the food. But then whatever's left over, get rid of it. Don't try to hold it over till tomorrow. Who would do that? Who, who would take their leftovers and hold on to them until the morning. What kind of person would do that? The one that doesn't believe God's going to send manna the next day, right? It's a lack of faith. The person that would hold on to that is saying, no, I don't really know if God's going to come through tomorrow. I mean, he did today, but you know, can't trust this guy. Yeah, they're the ones that are going to hold on to it to the next day. And what happens when they hold on to it? Let's read verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. In the words of our former president, nasty food. That's just nasty food, right? I remember Don and I, we had some neighbors, and um, they were really nice. And they wanted to give our daughter... Um, forget what it was, a candy bar for, I think it was Halloween or something. They said, hey, you know, and so they gave her a three musketeer bar, you know, and so she had this big chocolate candy bar that they gave her, and so we went in the house, we thanked them, went in the house, and I grabbed that bar, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, you know. I think maybe I should take a better look at this. There was a little hole on the side of the wrapping. I finally opened it up, and when I broke that in half, there were worms worms in it man i threw that candy bar man it scared me like i'm thinking worms in the candy bar what is going on you know but it was like their experience everything was foul in the morning bread worms and it stunk 
it stunk. It's like, get that out of here. Now, that's interesting, because as the story goes on, we're going to see what God's up to. Okay? But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it in morning, by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. So what is the lesson here so far, right? What is God trying to help them understand? The lesson is this. Trust in me. Chill. Relax. Fear not. I am with you. Live one day at a time. Learn to live one day at a time. Resist the urge to become anxious over the future. You know, most of what we worry about never comes to pass. And if that's true, why do we spend so much emotional equity worrying and fretting and getting worked up when in reality, most of the time, it doesn't come to pass? God's saying, live one day at a time. Trust in me. I'm with you and I'm for you. I will not abandon you. Don't worry about tomorrow. It reminds me of Jesus, his interaction with his disciples when they were struggling over some of these same things. He said to them, you of little faith, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles, Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, food, clothing, water, you know, all of our basic needs, they'll be added to you. Your Father in heaven will make sure that you have those. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why worry about tomorrow when you can worry about the problems of today? I know that just doesn't sound real positive, but each day has its own problems. There's enough to worry about. Why, why multiply that with tomorrow's potential problems? No, 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 no. Focus on your problems today. Give them to the Lord. Trust him for the solutions. And learn to live in that peace and that freedom one day at a time. The final test is the test over rest. Exodus 16, verse 22. It says, Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses. Verse 23. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. You know, that sixth day, there's going to be twice as much. They were like, what is that all about? Well, this is what he meant. The next day, the seventh day, tomorrow is a Sabbath observance. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. The word Sabbath in Hebrew means cease. That's what it means. Cease. Stop. Stop doing all your doings and just rest. Get into that lazy boy chair. And just learn to receive from me. I want to give you some stuff. I want to bless you. But you got to stop in order to receive. Tomorrow is one of those days. It's a Sabbath. It's holy to the Lord. 
bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. Exactly the opposite. On day six, you're supposed to save what's left over. He gives you twice as much and you save it. On the other days, you take only what's needed for that day and you don't save it till the next day. Why? It gets foul, it breeds worms. So look at this, he says, bake what you'll bake, boil what you'll boil, and then whatever's left over, put aside until morning. Now you gotta be thinking, why would I do that, Lord? You're not making much sense. I did it earlier this week, and my whole tent still stinks. And then I throw it out, worms everywhere. It's like one of the plagues of Egypt. You know, and now you want me to do that? That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. That's the issue of faith. Faith is trusting God when it doesn't make sense. You learn to be obedient, even though it's counterintuitive, because God's in it, and he'll bring the blessing. So, they put it aside until morning, as Moses ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. That tells us that God is sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over time. He's sovereign over our lives. We can trust him. We can learn to work and rest and find that rhythm of work and rest in relationship to the six days of the week that are common days and the holy day, the seventh day, the Sabbath, that he said, if you'll learn to take that off and just rest, I will provide for you. Well, I can't quit working on Saturday, you know? I won't be able to pay my bills. Really? Because God says, don't worry about it. Take it off. You're my son. You're royalty. I got enough provision to take care of you for the rest of your life. Now, that's a faith walk. That's not easy. It takes faith to do that. But we learn over a period of time of failing the tests and then getting up to where we're passing them that we can begin to walk these things out by faith. And that's where he wants to bring us, to that place where we are living by faith. And we're the people of God. And he moves with signs and wonders so that other people in the world look and say, wow, bring me out of Pharaoh's land too. Bring me out of this cruel, dark, confusing world too. I want what you have in this kingdom, this rule and reign of, of the creator over our lives. Okay, so it came about, let's see, where am I? Okay, verse 25. Moses said, eat, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Five days, enough for every day. On the sixth day, I'm giving you double what you need. On the seventh day, there won't be any. I'm shutting up heaven's doors, no manna on the seventh day. Verse 27, it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out together. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? You got some of these people still all messed up, still living in fear, still not understanding how great the love of God is for them, that he's going to provide for them so that they go out on the Sabbath. They sneak out on the Sabbath, going to get some extra manna, right? That's just shocking when you think about it. This is a lack of trust in God's provision. God responds in verse 28 to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? 
See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Ah, finally, right? They passed the test. They've learned to trust in him and rest. And they have water, and they have bread, and they have meat. For God has proven himself faithful in bringing the provisions that they need for the basics of life. It's an amazing story. I wish I had time to talk more about how that works on a practical level with the Sabbath. Because I know some of us have to work on the Sabbath. At least that's what Pharaoh has led us to believe. And I want to break that. I want to show you what it's like to live as free men and free women, unrestrained from Pharaoh and his claims on our lives as it relates to money. You can change all that. It takes time. We want to help you to do that. That'll be in some future uh, sermons or series that we'll uh, do. We'll help you uh, break that and get into a place of a, of a cycle of rest and work that's holy and in accordance with God's ways. And it will be, bring tremendous blessing to your life. Verse 31 closes with this. The house of Israel named it manna. They named it, what is that? What is that? What is that? That's what it is. It's that, right? And it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. And what they make out of it? They made cakes out of it. I think of angel food cake. When I look at the description, what's being described here, I'm thinking, that's probably tasting like angel food cake. Man, have that with some meat. That's a dinner, right? All right. Now, the other thing I think of is it was flat, so maybe it can't be angel food cake, but maybe Pazelles. Ever had a Pazelle, right? Those flat Italian cookies that look some, similar to a thin waffle, huh? Oh, yeah, I see some hands up. Yeah, give me some Pazelles. That's what God gave them, Pazelles. I think, you know, I think God loves the Italians, maybe. I don't know. So Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they took a jar, and they put it in, and they kept it generation after generation after generation to remind each new generation of the same lessons that God is faithful. He loves us. He's going to provide for us. I want to encourage you. Quit fretting. Know that God is going to give you what you need. And upon that, breakthroughs for what you need. His plans for you are good plans to prosper you. So let him help you come out of your Egypts, come out of your Pharaoh land, come out of your slave mentality to live in the freedom and the liberty that is given to you as his sons and daughters. You are the children of God, the children of royalty. And he wants us to learn to live like that. So I want to encourage you to remind yourself that every tough, tough thing that you're facing is a test from God. It's an opportunity to exercise faith. It's an opportunity to see God move on your behalf and to experience his faithfulness. Till you get to the point where you're no longer overwhelmed with the tests and the challenges and the hardships of life. And when you're there, when you're there, people around you that have no faith 
And they're going to see your courage and your joy in the midst of your trial. And they're going to say, how does that work? And you're going to be able to share with them, trust God. He's going to see you through. You're going to find your freedom. You're going to find his love. This feral land, our world that we live in, is full of lies. It's time to turn to the living God who loves you with an everlasting love. And that's a game changer. That's how we grow the kingdom. That's how we advance the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to leave you with Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is our mandate. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our mandate. Together we're going to do it. Together we're going to grow in our love and trust of God. And then we're going to share that with those around us. We're going to be a people of light, a people of hope, a people of the promise. And we're going to learn to lead our neighbors and our friends into a living relationship with Jesus. Where they get born again and he writes the Torah on their heart. And they come here and join us to go out and do that again and again and again. As we steal from the kingdom of hell billions of souls for the glory of God. Amen? Shabbat Shalom.